Are you ready to challenge the rhetoric? Today is Wednesday, February 17th. My name is Sherry Roberts, and I'm your host. I'm challenging the rhetoric. Welcome to the show. I hope you're ready for it. It's going to be a big one. I have a feeling there's going to be much debate. Uh, I'm intrigued. I'm really intrigued about how it's going to go. There's so much to talk about. So much has happened since I was here last week. Uh, As I was going live last week is when uh, the surrender started beginning last Wednesday night and, of course, ended Thursday morning there for the Oregon standoff outside of Burns, Oregon at the Malheur Wildlife Refuge. And we're going to get into a lot of things, but let me just set up the show here. Uh, Unfortunately, particularly in social media avenues, many, not most, not all, but many people that label themselves or consider themselves to be sovereign citizens, militia members, or patriots, they're still kind of running amok for lots of different reasons, and we'll get into some of those as well. But the problem is is there are many of them that are outright calling, literally, word for word, for murder of feds and even Oregon State Police. In fact, uh, there was um, something introduced in the courts today to withhold uh, the Oregon State Police officer who shot and killed the boy Finnegan, uh that night on the side of the highway when they arrested Alan Bundy and the rest. Um, anyhow, so there's a lot going on with regards to that, but they're you know they're making these claims, and that's just a, a horrible way, in my opinion, in my opinion, to um, you know practice your First Amendment right to free speech. And we're going to talk a lot about free speech tonight with some uh, with some friends and experts here. So uh, we're also going to have some really enlightening information on Santoli's First Amendment rights, particularly with his case more so than the others, um, with our media ethics expert here tonight. Uh, He's a litigator. I'll tell you a lot more about him. His name is Charles Glasser. He's going to be coming on. We're going to have some really great input on people like Sheriff Mack and their, um, you know, kind of what their touch on this movement is and, 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 and how that all goes about with senior editor, writer of High Country News, Jonathan P. Thompson will also be joining us. I'm not going to have a liar of the week tonight because it is a packed show, and like I said, I expect some pretty hearty debate. Uh, but I'll tell you all about that and, and them and, and the rest of the show here in a minute. Let me do all the setup with the details of the show that help you know help me grow and help you to participate with me and the guests tonight and with each other. You can go to the website, challengingerhetoric.news. You can find us on the Facebook page where I will be posting throughout the show, which is facebook.com forward slash challengingtherhetoric.news. You can find me on Twitter at CTR Newsfeed. We are using the hashtags CTR as well as Oregon Standoff. Um, If you're listening, please say hello. I appreciate every like, share, and follow. It does mean a lot to me. If you're listening and you disagree with myself or one of my guests or a caller or even with each other in the chat room, please, let's try to be respectful. It's all about dialogue, not necessarily you know, some ad hominem attack debate going on. No trollery tonight, all right? So the stories I cover, like I said, you can find on the website, challengingrhetoric.news. If you would like to call into the show and participate, you can do that at area code 646-787-1790. If you do call in, be sure all your background audio is off, including the sound on a computer or something like that, because it will feed through. Um, And if I'm getting a lot of feedback, I'm just going to, I won't keep the call uh, live. So, if you're calling in to express a different, differing opinion, same in the chat room, you have to be respectful. If you can't be respectful, then I don't treat you like a human being. I treat you like a troll. Uh, so anyways, if you are trying to call in and you're listening to an archive, 
phones and chat room only work for the live show. So if you want to get into the live chat room, you need to go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric with Sherry Roberts. C-H-E-R-I. So blogtalkradio.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric with Sherry Roberts. When you get there, click on show 17 if you're not clicking a direct show link. And the chat's going to appear right beneath that little slider there. If you're already logged in and you're not seeing a chat room, hit refresh, and the chat room will appear underneath the slider. So uh, pretty simple. That's all there is to it. So again, keep all the engagement really, really nice. So let's let's jump into this now. Last week, like I said, during the live show, right when I started, um, David Fry and the other three at the refuge were in the process of surrendering. And uh, it was kind of a very tense show for me because it literally happened, started, began and with a live feed that was going on on YouTube. And I wanted to watch, I wanted to listen. There wasn't anything to see, but I wanted to listen um, because I've been covering this story for weeks and weeks and weeks. But I had to do my show and I couldn't cancel out on my guests. So I caught up with it after the show. Uh, and again, the following morning is when the surrender happened. Um, there were some very suicidal moments with David Fry you know, the last man actually out who kind of held people up uh, after the other three surrendered for about another hour and a half. Um, lots going on there that we, we might talk about a little later in the show or, or we can talk about uh, in the chat afterwards uh, with regards to some of the players in, in all of that and talking them down, talking them out, negotiating and all of that because it was rather interesting. But that YouTube uh, stream was aired live on Gavin Stein's YouTube channel, so you can go to YouTube look up uh, Gavin Fine, it's spelled F-E-I-M. Uh, I'm not a fan of his show, but I'm giving him a plug because, you know, that is where the audio originated, so I would assume that would be the best place for you to listen to it. Uh, anyways, that being said, you know, there was a point in this where David Fry had said that he had a gun to his head. At that point, a lot of people that were viewing uh, dropped off. You know, uh, I almost dropped off. Uh, but I was praying that he wouldn't do it, and he didn't, so that was good, and I'm glad that I listened to the rest of it. But, um, you know, like I've talked about for a couple of weeks, what's going on in social media, what it has allowed us uh, to create this, like, Roman Coliseum is pretty incredible. I don't know what the ethics are behind that on an individual, in-your-heart basis, your own morals and, and the sustenance that makes you you, but I have to tell you, it made bile rise in my throat, and we're only beginning, folks. This is going to keep getting worse and worse and worse, and unfortunately, there's a lot of cheering on in the background, and uh, I don't know that that's healthy. But anyways, <laughs> so there's been at least 24 Oregon standoff arrests that are directly stemming from the events in Harney County outside of Burns, Oregon. 25, if you want to count the, the arrest of Clive and Bundy at the Portland Airport last Wednesday also, his charges are specific to the 2014 Bundy Ranch standoff that was in Bunkerville, Nevada. I don't know if they'll charge him for anything to do with the uh, Oregon standoff yet. I don't know if the, the the single conspiracy charge that they have everybody on is the only charge that will end up making it into the courtroom trial time. Uh, that could change. There's lots of different things that are potential crimes that have happened. Um, so I guess, you know, time will tell on that. Um, anyhow... So, you know, there's there should be more arrests. I, 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 
I want to say I can guarantee that, but I can't guarantee that. I'm not a, I'm not any law enforcement officer. I don't have a warrant in my hand for anyone. But I think there will be more arrests um, that that happen out of it, either for more for the the 2014 Bundy Ranch or the Malheur Refuge incident that we're just coming off of right now, or even maybe something from last year's Sugar Pine Mine uh, incident. That was also in Oregon, up there near Grants Pass. Uh, Grants Pass. So. I've had a lot of people ask me if I knew why Oregon for this last standoff. I do not know why Oregon. I can tell you, and this is just, you know, just a little piece of trivia, is not only, you know, like I said, the Sugar Pine Mine incident, that was in Oregon, and then that 2014 Bundy Ranch incident, although it was in Nevada, um, if you watch the footage from the actual altercation that went down, um, which is pretty much the only thing that made any kind of corporate mainstream news when it happened, but... Um, one of the uh, people from the Bundy Ranch, as BLM was leaving, had commented on the fact that one of the BLM trucks, the license plate was an Oregon plate. I doubt that has anything to do with anything. But somehow Oregon has been involved with all three things, so I just thought that was interesting trivia there. Um, you know, I have been personally pretty vocal in my opinion. You know, my opinion, that's all it is, my opinion, my right to free speech, just like everybody else's. Uh, I do believe that Santilli has committed a crime. Um, I don't know exactly what that crime is. And I, like most people in America, are looking at this with different eyes than, say, my guests tonight, and who are going to clarify some things. And you're going to be pretty surprised what they, uh, what they have to say. And it's going to be probably the most thorough balance you heard me do on challenging the rhetoric. I find it amusing. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know, so anyways, here's, here's the deal. I think that Pete Santilli is going to have more charges uh, for Nevada, Bundy Ranch. Um, I'm saying that because page 20, page 23 of the Clive and Bundy complaint, it clearly uh, demonstrates that that, that co-conspirator, I believe it's number four, is Pete Santilli. The other three is, are pretty speculated, speculative. Uh, I and many others think it could be Ammon and Ryan Bundy as well as Ryan Payne or possibly uh, John Ritzheimer. Um, but Santilli is pretty clear. Uh, the, the quote that they use in the complaint is an exact quote of, of Centilis that's well documented. Um, so I think there's no question there. What's going to come of it? I don't know. Maybe they'll be done with him here in Oregon. I have no idea. And one of the guests tonight might be able to talk on that um, a little bit better. So tonight, what we're going to talk about specific with Santilli, though, is that the ACLU has come out in support. Now, they say they're not involved in the case, although Pete Santilli, in recordings from the Inverness Jail in Portland, Oregon, in Multnomah County, uh, that Doug Jordan has aired, he says that they're helping him. Now, are they helping him because they wrote an article in support of his First Amendment right? That could be. Or is he trying to make his listeners believe that the ACLU is somehow involved in his case? That sounds more like Pete, but I don't know that that's the case. Um, but they are in support. Uh, the, the director has come out and said that, that in his verbiage, he's really trying to separate things. And I wrote an article yesterday that I put up that is being posted on the Facebook page that you can go take a peek and click on. But on that note, I want to I want to start bringing in the guests because we're going to talk about Pete Santilli's First Amendment right. We're going to talk about how the Second Amendment plays into this because it was an armed standoff. And then we are going to also touch on the 14th Amendment and equal protection under the law. And Jonathan will really be talking on that a lot uh, with regards to people like Sheriff Matt um, when I bring him on. So I'm going to bring both of our guests on. First up is uh, <laughs> Charles Glass. As I said, Charles is a, a litigator. He is a uh, media ethics expert. 
Kaczynski is uh, pretty sought after from what I gathered in my research. Uh, and again, he was referred to me from uh, recur you know, recurring guest Mark Zaid. So thank you again, Mark. Uh, he's the author of International Libel and Privacy Handbook, a global reference for journalists, publishers, webmasters, and lawyers. He's an expert on the First Amendment, particularly for journalists. Welcome to the show, Charles. I'm really, really glad to have you on. Thank you so, so much for joining me. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I, I look forward to this. Oh, I've been looking forward to this all day. You know, we had a, a, a pre-interview call early, earlier today, and it was uh, quite enlightening. So I look forward to really kind of jumping into this in a minute. I'm going to go ahead and bring on the second guest so that we can kind of get into a little bit of a roundtable discussion. Our second guest is Jonathan P. Thompson. He's a writer, and he's a senior editor of High Country News. And I, I apologize in advance. For some reason, I keep wanting to say North Country News, but it's High Country News. Um, he wrote a really in-depth article called The Rise of, Sage, of, of the Sagebrush Brush Sheriff, how, and and this, this article, when I read it, uh, it gives you some really cool historical background on, on a lot of things. Um, but I really liked what he was talking about with regards to Sheriff Mack and people that are involved in this situation. It's not just fringe and on the sidelines, in my opinion, I think also in, in Jonathan's opinion. Um, so I'm really, really happy to have him here. Jonathan, thank you so, so much uh, for joining me on Challenging the Rhetoric. Thanks for having me. It's uh, uh, Jonathan and meet Charles. <laughs> hey, how are you? Um, Hi, Charles. So, so guys, let's let's kind of jump into this. I want to start with Charles because you know we talked today, and Charles, you know, this is his expertise, and we uh, he turned me on to a case that I had actually looked at before in the past because I'm very very interested at, as an activist and a journalist myself and very interested in my own first amendment right and how far can I push the envelope should I want to he introduced me to a case uh Massive Publishing Company versus Patton and uh it's a really interesting case and I I'm thinking that um it's kind of you know from our conversation this is kind of in Charles and he can correct me if I'm wrong but kind of the precedent we're looking at um well Charles, uh, yeah can you it's not really into? Well, it's not it's not the it's not the state of the law now. It's uh, uh, the, the, uh, uh, there's a uh, a case called Brandenburg, which is really the controlling case law that'll get to the question about whether Santelli is uh, going to the pokey or not, because that's you know what we're talking about, um, uh, or if he's going to the pokey for pure speech or something else. Um, but the reason that the masses case is important. And I think important for your listeners and, and anybody looking at this issue, it's funny, you know, you you'd raised the question about why Oregon. And, and you know, it's very interesting. Um, historically, the Pacific Northwest uh, has for a, many, many, many years been sort of this hotbed of uh, – and I, I use this in the clinical sense – extremism. I don't mean far left, far right per se, but – um, you know, the industrial workers of the world, uh, the IWW, who were considered, you know, enemies of, of uh, capitalism uh, at the turn of the 20th century, had a very, very strong presence in, in the Pacific Northwest um, and longshoremen's unions. So there's, there is definitely, maybe it's in the water, I don't know, but there's, there's definitely something out there about, uh, maybe it's the rugged individualist thing or something but there 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 is an interesting history anyway the history when we look at cases like what's going on or what you know just recently transpired 
we have mm-hmm. to ask ourselves, well, wait a minute, you know, has this ever happened before? How have law enforcement and courts and, and, and so on, how has the system dealt with that before? And that's why I pointed you to the masses case, because it's very, very important. No matter what side of the argument you're on, whether you, you know, call yourself a three percent or a proud patriot or whether you think that these guys are all nuts and belong in jail, whichever side, doesn't really matter. It's very, very important to remember that as a country, we have this very rich and very detailed history uh, about political speech and political protest, right? And it mm-hmm. was not that long ago, and that's why I pointed you to the masses, it was not that long ago when merely saying down with America, with merely saying, you know, I think we need a new system, was illegal. And, and Eugene Debs went to jail for that. And Emma Goldman was deported for that. It was not that long ago that that the kind of speech that we're talking about would have been right out of the box, prima facie, you know, just straight up illegal. Um, so it's, it's very, very important to understand that... Um, you know the 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 law evolves with the cultures, and as we talked earlier today, the law moved forward a little bit, and uh, with the civil rights movement of the early '60s, and then the anti-war movement of the of the late '60s and early '70s, things moved forward and forward, and and we are at a point now where uh, you know compared to the rest of the world, I mean. Uh, these things can always be argued about, but compared with the rest of the world, we enjoy, and I'm, it, one of the things that makes me very proud to be an American is we enjoy a terrific degree of freedom in political speech. You know, um, we do, we do, and that, that's a fact. And of course, we don't, we don't want all of that infringed on. Jonathan, you mentioned a case to me today, um, the the Recapture Canyon protest in 2014. Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, that's and a, that's so, a, and, and kind of where we're standing in the conversation, just like uh, the the massive case, um, that's kind of something that you you showed me today, and kind of where you're basing some of kind of what your thoughts are on this. Is, is that correct? And can you tell the listener what about that case? Yeah, I mean, so that case was interesting because it, in a lot of ways it was similar. There was a um, a protest in which a, a county commissioner in Utah, Phil Lyman, he organized as part of the protest was to ride ATVs onto a BLM road that had been closed to motorized vehicles. So they were going to break break the law, essentially, um, in order to make their protest. And a blogger named Monty Wells, uh, he kind of helped promote the, the ride. He... Um, put on his blog, you know, all kinds of stuff from Lyman as well as himself kind of stirring stirring the pot, okay? And, and of course, there's nothing illegal about that. But um, then he participated in the ride. So he, um, he and Lyman basically were leaders of this ride. They went down uh, 40, 50 people maybe crossed this line and, and went into a closed area. Um, eventually... Uh, they were prosecuted along with, I think, three or four other people. Um, but only only Phil Lyman and Monty Wells were found guilty. Um, and, and the argument there from them was that, hey, wait, you know, Monty Wells is just a journalist. He was just covering this event. You know, sure, he was promoting it, but it's First Amendment rights. But at the same time, he also participated in it, and he also crossed the line. He actually 
did more than speech. He actually went ahead and, and broke the law. So um, he was convicted along with Bill Lyman and I had to spend some time in jail, not much, but uh, he did. And so um, in some ways, I think that's kind of, uh, you know, it's really similar to Santilli. It, it, with Santilli, it's not like he was sitting in a room somewhere saying all this stuff on the internet, you know, go do this and that, go take over the wildlife refuge. He was actually there on the refuge joining these people. So I don't know. I kind of feel like if you feel like what the other occupiers were doing on the refuge is illegal, then probably what Santilli was doing is. Well, if I may, I I think you put your finger right on it. You were kind of jumping ahead of of a couple of steps uh, uh, academically, but I think you're right. The, the 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 key question really um that you put your finger on and that then that case um uh, uh that you referred to uh the ATV ride highlights and frankly this is the this is the thing that the ACLU statement this is where this is this is the hard part is Santelli being punished for and I can't say one way or the other but is is he being punished for pure speech or as you point out quite rightly, is he being pointed out, uh, prosecuted rather, for speech that becomes action? There's a point at which it is no longer speech. You know, uh, it's one thing to say, and this is the classic example in, 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 you know, in philosophy classes. It's one thing to say, eat the rich, the rich are terrible, you know, down with the 1%. But if you have a crowd of hungry people and stand in front of a store and say, there's the food, and it's in there, and it's your food, you know, and occupy it, obviously, then that's where the, the imminent danger test of, of the Brandenburg case comes in. Now, I've read, for what it's worth, um, I've read, as Sherry and I were going through it today, um, I've read the uh, FBI affidavit that uh, was the basis for the indictment uh, against this fellow Santelli, and... And I, I, <laughs> I listened to you owe me one, Sherry. I listened to a few of his <laughs> podcasts. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I know the guy personally. He's actually yeah, a I know. Of mine. Whatever, you know, whatever. I'm not going to hurt him a gonna, lot. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going there. You know, whatever. It is what it is. But uh, I'm not, who am I to judge? But the point is that uh, you know, it, it's clearly incendiary. It's clearly hyperbolic. It's clearly fiery, or as you put it, uh, stirring up the pot, no question about it. And in all fairness, um, is that anything different than what an Al Sharpton or a Jesse Jackson or, or any any activist does? Um, I don't think so. Um, and the question, uh, th- those question the words, on, pardon? I, I'm sorry, I have a question before you finish that answer, because it's kind of been itching for like five minutes, that, and I don't know if it has any bearing, so pardon me if not. But Please I think from our previous conversation today um, that even though this is a federal case, in case anyone is out there listening, even though this is a federal case, Oregon state laws apply to whatever may or may not be their crimes. Is that not correct? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, if I they mean, if they broke if they broke laws that would be well, let me let me this goes to the Second Amendment. So let's say they were in a state where it wasn't legal to be walking around with guns. Okay. Right. Would so that would make a difference because that's that state law versus in Oregon where it was allowed. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not not quite following it. I mean, look, Santilli's being charged 
with a form of obstruction. It's, it's, it's a conspiracy to interfere with the operation of the federal officers. That's what he's being charged with, right? And the, the question is, does his ranting, only his ranting, and, and, and this, is, this is the point that's really important, is it only his ranting that comes close enough to that line to be, uh, 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 to be accepted as part of a conspiracy to obstruct with the, with the operation of the federal officers? As, as I said earlier today, I think I, I was speaking or chatting online with, with my, my good friend Les Zates at the Oregonian, who's done magnificent coverage. You know, I mean, he's really he's he's done just an absolute masterful job. He and his team uh, of covering this whole thing in a in a straight way. The point is that if he were in a radio booth a hundred miles away from the from the land, would he, he have been arrested? What do you think? Um, well, I think that that is a big part of this um, equation in question. But as Jonathan pointed out, um, which is part of that, if he was 100 miles away and he stayed 100 miles away, right. Right. Then would it be different? But although he so. was in a motel room, although he didn't spend the night at the refuge, he spent most of his time at the refuge while things were going on. Um, so it wasn't even though. So there's a lot of weird little dynamics there. How, yep, how, yep. how do we differentiate that? Well, as a lawyer, I mean, you know, they say atmospherics are everything, and I think that they look they, uh, again. And I'm not making a value judgment about what should and shouldn't happen, but. Um, uh, look, a couple of these guys are definitely being found guilty. They're, they're, even if they're later reversed on appeal, a jury's going to find them guilty. And I, my feeling is that this guy got swept up into it. If he'd been in a radio booth a hundred miles away, as opposed to like like Jonathan's case with the with the fellow on the AT on the ATV, been there, been part of it, been an organizer. Um, I think it would, I think it would have been a very very different outcome. And they're just sort of rolling the dice, and they being the feds, rolling the dice and sweeping him into it. There's a, a couple important questions that you'd asked me earlier that I think I think uh, listeners really ought to consider here. And first off, that is that uh, this fellow... Okay, wait, can, pause, you guys. Pause. Yep. I have to interrupt you because mm-hmm. I'm getting a message in the chat room from somebody that uh, I do that is a credible person. Um, she is somebody that is a friend of mine on Twitter, um, right. and I apparently sometime here just recently new charges did in fact come down uh, that were the same as Clive and Bundy's, including on Santilli. They're saying Santilli got eight new charges, and they're all the same charges as Clive and Bundy's, the complaint I sent you earlier. Hmm. Hmm. So, so under the... It changes a lot of things. Sorry, but I thought I'd better say that because I do I do trust uh, uh, Kieran... Yeah, no, I hear you. Uh, so um, I haven't seen that. She tweeted it out at me, so I'm going to try to grab that and put it in our green room for you. Go ahead. Yeah, well, um, you know, that, that this really kind of underscores what I, what I was saying, and that is that um, uh, people have to understand that, that uh, whether Mr. Centilli calls himself a journalist or not really doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter in a good way because uh, – the dynamics of, of the law and the dynamics of media have changed in a way. And frankly, as I mentioned before, in 1996, I wrote this article called We Are All Gutenberg Now. And 
you know, the bloggers in pajamas can bring down Dan Rather. And, you know, there's no, uh, the monopoly has been broken on mass communication. There's no question about it. And the First Amendment protects everybody. The First Amendment doesn't only protect the wealthy, you know, uh, uh, people who own, uh, uh, you know, Viacom or CBS or, you know, any any large media company. Uh, the First Amendment protects, you know, grandma out on the street. So, so for Santilli to say, well, I'm a journalist, that doesn't really get any work done. The second thing that's really important for people to remember and why that argument doesn't really it's a sidetrack argument, is remember, and again, we talked about this case a little earlier, Cohen v. Coles, the basic principle is that the First Amendment is not a shield to laws of general applicability. I can't walk into a bank and say, give me all your money. Oh, I'm a journalist. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, you know. Um, we, we as, as reporters and editors and, 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 and uh, employees of, of news organizations, have to follow the rules, just like everybody else. Now, it's true that we're given leeway. It's true that, that in a lot of uh, narrow circumstances, like shield laws and things like that, we're, we're given uh, a little extra protection. But that's done as a utilitarian balance. That's done because courts believe that journalists and publishers are providing a public service and are one of the pillars of democracy. And in order for the democracy to function, it has to be informed. In order for it to be informed, the press has to operate freely. So it's sort of this virtuous circle. Um, Santilli's, from a legal point, Santilli's only real hope, and, and again, you say there are these new charges, and yeah, I don't actually, know. Actually, I have them in front of me, and I can read them. Um, I have the them charges in front of me. The charges aren't aren't as important as as the the uh, allegations of fact in the affidavit that leads to the charges. See, it, it, the real question is the sixty four dollar question is: Is Santilli being punished only for what he said, or is he being punished for what he did? And and the gray area is where what he said was so close to fire and gasoline, that it, it no longer is speech but an act, right? Well, check check this out. Uh, Charles, h- hang tight a minute. Jonathan, hang tight because I'm going to you next. So he, look, I want to read these charges for the listeners so they're up to date and so that you both know what just happened here. Ryan, sure. uh, <laughs> I'm going to say Ryan's name wrong. It's Ryan Haas or Haas from OPB, Oregon. Uh, very credible, very credible reporter. Um, here's the new charges. It is the same exact ones as Clive and Bundy. So basically what we have is they're charged with, he's charged with one count of conspiracy to commit an offense against the United States, one count of conspiracy to impede or, or injure a federal officer, four counts of using and carrying a firearm in relation to a crime of violence, two counts of assault on a federal officer, two counts of threatening a federal enforcement officer, three counts of obstruction of the due administration of justice, two counts of interference with interstate commerce by extortion, and one count of interstate travel in aid of extortion. Um, it also, that same indictment also alleges five counts of criminal forfeiture, uh, which upon conviction will require a forfeiture of property derived from the proceeds of the crimes, totaling at least $3 million. Now, pause one more thing. 
Shauna Cox, one of the defendants, came out with a suit of her own today, which is kookier in hell, excuse my uh, French there, and she was claiming, as I've been talking about for a while on the show and the things I've written, that there's a potential RICO Act here. Now, those charges, that would meet, that would qualify for a minimum of two requirements for a RICO. Is that not right? Well, as I said, I believe so. I'm not a criminal lawyer, so uh, but I believe that uh, terrorism is is one of the predicate charges. Extortion is certainly one of the predicate charges. Um, so, Interstate travel uh, as well to extorted. Yeah. So on on right on, on its surface, I would say that's not an impossibility if the feds really want to push hard. Now, the charges that you were uh, just just relaying, and let's assume that that's correct for the moment. You know. Um, these new new charges. Uh, I I look. I I was a journalist for 16 years before becoming an attorney. I covered combat uh, and general assignment, uh, so I've seen a lot of you know pretty wacky stuff, and and I've pulled my share of stunts. Um, but I I must tell you that if you're being charged, what what was that weapons charge? Um, well, there's so many. Uh, let's see. Yeah, there were there were some weapons charged. Uh, carrying a yeah, firearm I, I, in relation to a crime of violence. Oh, and threatening an officer. Yeah. Assault on an officer. And threatening a federal. Yeah, I have to say that um, it would be awfully hard to say that those charges came out of his speech. That's a tough... I mean, I, I haven't listened to everything that this guy has published, but I, I've got to tell you something. It's it's a it's a real real stretch to say that um, you know these charges are being brought because I'm speaking out. You know, those kind of charges are not are not uh, you know the usual. Usually, when political speech is suppressed, right? Usually the kind of charges you see are sedition and treason, things that, that punish the idea, right, of the speech. In extreme cases, and this is certainly an extreme case, um, uh, you might see incitement as, 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 as one of the charges. Um, but I'm not aware of any instance where the pure speech itself led to firearm charges. I mean, you <laughs> quite quite ironically, you remember David Gregory of NBC News and yes. uh, you know, he uh -huh. was on Meet the Press and he was waving an illegal magazine around. Uh, he had a he had a uh, uh, a oversized uh, uh magazine for a, 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 a semi-automatic weapon, which is illegal in DC where he was. And even there the feds didn't charge him. I mean, people were screaming for his head, but but even there, the feds didn't charge him. Um, so uh, these new charges certainly could undercut Santilli's argument that he was merely uh, speaking. You know that he was merely expressing his his outrage. That's it's, that's very very tough. That's a real game well, changer, you know I think. Um, I, I want to I want to make kind of a closing comment on on that real quick. But before I do, and before before you go, um, Charles, I only had you scheduled a, a, until now. We're a little long, but if you'd like to stay with us, and you can, um, I would love would love to have you stay and, and join us. I'm going to cut over to Jonathan in a second after I make a statement. But did you, do you have time? You want to hang out with us? Oh yeah, sure. 
Okay, awesome. Jonathan, stand by because I'm going to make a statement about this. So these are the new charges that just came out. Now, these specific charges are for Pete Santilli's involvement in the Bunkerville, Nevada, Bundy Ranch standoff from 2014. The only current charge that we know of on Pete Santilli for the Oregon standoff, which is what he's sitting in the Inverness jail in Portland for right now, is the one uh, federal conspiracy charge to impede. So um, now I I'm wondering, since we've heard no additional charges whatsoever on any of them here in Oregon yet, uh, and I believe, well, their trial is actually set to begin. It's, it's, it's on the docket. It's set, set to begin April 19th, which is Patriots Day. I believe that's like the day after the um, Oklahoma City bombing uh, anniversary, also like right around the Waco anniversary, uh, kind of inflammatory in itself. But as, as these things go, it would probably be delayed beyond that anyway. But so these particular charges that just came down this this uh, indictment, those are for Nevada from 2014. So did they sweep these guys up while they had the opportunity to sweep them up on the side of that highway so that the big charges can come down in the other state? That's very interesting. Jonathan, what you want to comment on all of this? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I I think, I mean, that the charges for Santilli certainly sound, I mean, they're, they're from Bunkerville, and it sounds exactly like conspirator number four um, in the Clive and Bundy complaint. And in that, it's pretty clear that... They're the, the exact same charges that Clive and Bundy have, yeah, the exact, exact ones, uh, is what I'm it's hearing. That the, that the narrative there is that Santilli was definitely crossing that line between speech and action, um, you know, although that complaint also does mention his speech, you know, so it's kind of interesting. It kind of does get muddled a little bit there, and you kind of wonder, did did they go after Santilli maybe more because of his speech? Um, but but certainly it does say, I think, that he, he participated in ramming a, uh, a, a BLM officer's car with with a with another vehicle made him stop and then they tore open the door and were threatening him. Um, and that caused the convoy of, of federal officials to turn around and go, go away. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to beg to differ. I'm going to beg to differ that it's not because it, they're not using his speech. They're using his platform against him. Peace essentially has a minimum of 66,000 subscribers. That's not; those are dedicated subscribers to his his live show on YouTube. That's not counting all the other feeds that come out of that on other people's um, that stream it live on on different things. So there is a massive audience that that one little man Pete Santilli has. Um, so I think this is my opinion. Again, only my opinion, but I'd like you both to comment on is I think that maybe his speech, just because he's Pete Santilli, might have been a little more inflammatory. However, I think it's because he has the platform and used the platform is why they're going after Pete. Well, so that goes back to journalists. Uh, well, I, you know, that's hard to tell. Like I said, look, um, cases are about atmospherics. Um, you know, look, the facts that Jonathan just read out um, – those are pretty damning, and we're, of course we're, we're assuming they're, they're alleged, they're not true, or I should say not proven is true. Everybody's entitled to, to you know, their day in court to prove that that didn't happen, so, you know, be fair to the guy. Um, that being said, um, those affidavits are signed under penalty of perjury, um, and, you know, ramming an officer or, or shoving him with a door of, and, and using a vehicle to, to force a, uh, a convoy to turn around, um, 
that 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 in and of itself has it's so removed from any speech and it's so removed from any platform now as a, as atmospherics go and as politics go you point out that this guy's got a good following he's he is an active you know participant in this sort of movement and and a voice um so, you know, if I were the assistant U.S. attorney, if I were the solicitor general, and I saw these guys as the threat that I'm pretty sure the Obama administration does, um, would that motivate me to to come down hard on them? You bet. I mean, look, all administrations, and certainly this one is no this one is no stranger to targeting uh, groups and people. Um, for their ideological differences, you know, uh, you can go on. It's a whole another show, but you can go on with Operation Choke Point and and lots of different uh, yeah, the the uh, 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 tax uh, examinations of Tea Party organizations. This is what administrations do. This is the corruption of power. You know, is where they use the mechanism of government to to oppress, for lack of a better word, um, or uh, you know, those with whom they disagree. So. Does his platform and his megaphone uh, enter into it? Atmospherically, absolutely yes. You're you're 100% right. I have no doubt about it. Legally, is that one of the elements that go into the claim? Nope, doesn't have to. It it doesn't have to. Um, uh, I and 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 the I can I can I can listen you know they they might be wrong but they're not stupid the the feds you know and uh they I I I can say with a high degree of certainty that when this case starts to roll along um the the pre, the uh, feds rather are going to be very very careful to lay out a case that tries to disprove any defense that this guy is being punished for his views at the end of the day. If I were the prosecutor, I would say it's got nothing to do with his views and everything to do with his actions. The the views they're using as atmospherics because, you know, um, they live in a bubble, um, they being the feds. um, They're by and large, East Coast elites. They went to the same schools I did. These are, you know, these are my, these are my, this is my world, you know. And and unfortunately, a lot of the country and a lot of the people in government, you know, they see, you know, yeah, look, there are two Americas, and 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 we're talking about flyover country, you know. They don't, they, you know, I mean. That phrase rings in my mind all the time about clinging to their guns and Bibles and that disdain for, you know, that disdain for uh, red state flyover country is very, very strong. It really is. We can't kid ourselves. So, um, Charles and Jonathan, here's what I want to do. We have uh, a little more than 15 minutes left here. got about 17, 18 minutes left. I monitor the social media as well as the website while I'm doing the show, and there's a comment on the website um, on the promo piece uh, for tonight. And the comment is from someone that um, they're from patriotnewsrelease.com, to which they have me blocked from, (laughs) Uh, but they wanted to comment. Okay, so Patriot, Patriot News, all right. Here's their comment, because in my title I also talk about the 14th Amendment, because we're getting ready to talk about that in a second. Equal protection under the law. All right. 
and they say that the 14th Amendment was not lawfully ratified. So, Charles, think about that a minute. Think about the state of Oregon. Listen to what Jonathan and I are about to say, and then maybe you can comment on that. Jonathan, let's talk about Sheriff Mack, Michelle Fiore, uh, you know, constitutional lawyer Chris Ann Hall, and the others like them. Go for it. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, one thing I would point out here is that none of those people have been charged yet, <laughs> Michelle Fiore, uh, Richard Mack, or Chris Ann Hall. And certainly any of those people could be uh, accused of inciting th- these actions through their words, um, but they, they didn't join in on any of it. So um, I think if the government were to go after somebody for speech or for their platform alone, they would have to go after these guys. Um, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Certainly, Richard Mack, who is a former sheriff and who is now a hero amongst the Tea Party and amongst the sagebrush rebels, if you will, and the Constitutional Sheriffs, he's the leader of the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. He was at Bundy Ranch, as was Michelle Fiore, um, and they you know, participated in, in the rhetoric, if nothing else, there while people they stood by while while people were pointing guns at federal officers um you know and so and so and but they're not going to be charged or they're not being charged yet at least um so uh, you know i, so I have to say that i point. My, my personal opinion is, is if they're guilty, they're guilty for more than rhetoric because they've been supportive, and these are lawmakers and law enforcers in this country. And if a lawmaker and somebody who, who actively enforces the law in this country, whether it's state, county, or, or federal, if, if they're supporting somebody saying it's okay, it's lawful, do it, do it, do it, I think there's a problem there. I think it's not too far different than what Pete Santilli did. And in fact, I think it kind of plays into the analogy that Charles gave that what if Pete Santilli was somewhere 100 miles away? Well, you know what? Michelle Fiore, Sheriff Mack, although Sheriff Mack's, uh, I don't know if he's still here today, but he's been here in, in Oregon yesterday and the day before. But so I want to tell you that I don't know why this is happening right now, but we have a, a, a press release um, from the Department of Justice that just came out about these indictments. I'm going to read uh, real quick, and then Charles, I'm going to go to you for the answer to that question. Uh, so, federal grand jury in Nevada indicts Clive and Bundy and four others for felony crimes related to 2014 standoff. I want to say that I was correct. It was Ammon Bundy, Ryan Bundy, and Ryan Payne are the other three co-conspirators, along with Pete Santilli says uh, res- Nevada resident Clive and Bundy and four others were indicted by the federal grand jury today on 16 felony charges related to the armed assault against federal law enforcement officers that occurred in the Bunkerville, Nevada area on April 12, 2014. U.S. Attorney Daniel G. Bogdan for the District of Nevada, Special Agent in Charge Laura Boucher uh, for the FBI in Nevada and Bureau of Land Management Director Neil Corns uh, made the announcement today. It says, quote, the rule of law has been reaffirmed with these charges. This is Bogdan talking. They've been reaffirmed with these charges. Persons who use force and violence against federal law enforcement officers who are enforcing court orders and nearly causing catastrophic loss of life or injury to others will be brought to justice. And then Boucher says, this indictment sent a resounding message to those who wish to participate in violent acts that are resolved to pursue them and enforce the law remains unwavering. And then from BLM, uh, Neil Corns, today marks a tremendous step toward ending more than 20 years of law-breaking. The nation's public lands belong to all Americans. Clive and Bundy and the, the others that I named 
Um, I, I read their, their accounts earlier and what they are. The defendants, like I said, are currently in custody in Oregon, Oregon including Clive and Bundy. Their arraignment on these charges uh, have not yet been set. The indictment states that the charges result from a massive armed assault against federal law enforcement officers that occurred in and around Bunkerville, Nevada. The defendants are alleged to have planned, organized, and led the assault in order to extort the officers into abandoning approximately 400 head of cattle that were in their lawful care and custody. In addition to conspiring among themselves to plan and execute these crimes, the defendants recruited, organized, and led hundreds of other followers in using armed force against law enforcement officers in order to thwart the seizure and removal of Clive and Bundy's cattle from federal public lands. Bundy had, trust, had trespassed on the public lands for over 20 years, refusing to obtain, obtain the legally required permits or pay the required fees, uh, to keep and graze his cattle on that land, and the fees are considerable. It's well over a million dollars. I mean, it's a lot. Uh, the indictment charges that Clevin Bundy was the leader, the organizer, and chief beneficiary of the conspiracy and possessed ultimate authority over the conspirational operations and received economic benefits of this extortion. The remaining defendants are charged as leaders as well and organizers who conspired with Bundy to achieve his criminal objectives. I'm going to go on the record right now. I've, I've teased and taunted about this for weeks. I believe that we're going to start looking at RICO here down the line. And on that note, how, when this is getting bigger and bigger and the charges are getting bigger and bigger, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week, how can people like Michelle Fiore, Sheriff Mack, and the other constitutional sheriffs, acting law enforcement, not just sheriffs, but police officers as well, how can they get away with fueling and flaming this and have no charges? Uh, so going straight to you, Charles. Well, again, you know, it, <laughs> to sound Clintonian for a moment, it depends what you mean by flaming. <laughs> so, well, hey, it's all good so long as Monica Lewinsky and Cigars have nothing uh, to do with yeah. the flame. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the point, the point is, definition really is everything. That's the point. And, and, um, you know, these these various law enforcement uh, and 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 uh, local representatives. Uh, again, it comes down to that distinction between them verbally supporting. Uh, or if you want to even be stronger, encouraging um, these folks uh, as opposed to crossing that line into action. And uh, I have to say that from a practical standpoint, because we do live in the real world, the likelihood of the federal government uh, 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 charging uh, lawmakers uh, with uh, involvement in some conspiracy uh, for merely, and I put merely in air quotes, but for merely um, agreeing, encouraging, fanning the flames, whatever, if that is a, that becomes a very risky move. Uh, you have sovereignty issues. You have speech and debate clause issues. Remember that that things said in the course of the of their duties. Uh, you know, as the sheriff, I stand up and I say, you know, Sherry did something wrong. Uh, he's immune from from prosecution suit for for, for doing that. Um, I don't think the federal government uh, that that takes a wrong turn for them. There's no real there's no high value in that uh, for them. At the high end, Charles, at the high end of this, at the high end of this, all those that were indicted on these new charges in Nevada, at the high end of this, those defendants, if charged and convicted on all of them, 
stand yeah. 171 in years. We're looking at life in prison. And these other people like Fiore who kept encouraging him and telling him it was okay, lawmakers well, and law enforcement people saying I mean, it's you're okay. Angry. Well, your anger well, sounds like... Well, I'm not like, angry. I'm very well, confused how that can be okay. Because there's a... Okay, we don't live in not 1984. Not just me, Charles, not just me. A whole lot of people have oh, been asking that. this oh, particular I thing. I know that. Let us not go into thought crime. Let us not punish people for having bad or wrong ideas. Let us not even punish people for being idiots, because they may very well be idiots. That's not who we or are. Or dumb as a box of paper clips. Yeah, there, that, that's not what we do. Um, the, 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 the beauty, the genius, the, the absolutely, and I mean this, having traveled the world, the glorious, uniquely and, and you know, uniquely American the, the, uh, concept of the First Amendment. What is really gorgeous about it is that at the end of the day, it protects our right to be wrong. It protects our right to be dumb. It protects our right to be ignorant. You had asked me earlier about... You know, one of your one of your uh, 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 listeners had, uh, in the chat room had said, "Oh, you know, the Fourteenth Amendment doesn't really exist or something." That's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. It's a shibboleth that was created in 1957 during the the first vestiges of the Civil Rights Movement. The Georgia State Legislature, who didn't want to go to school with no Negroes, you know, they passed a resolution declaring that the 14th Amendment was null and void and of no effect. And it, and then people kind of latched on to that and said, well, the meaning, it's not in the letter of the law, but the meaning of the 14th Amendment was about making sure that that former slaves got equal treatment. And that's kind of ironic because people who identify, and I do to a great degree, identify as conservatives, or in my case, really civil libertarians, um, you know, we see the Constitution, you know, I'm a textualist, I'm an originalist, and, and, you know, rest his soul, so was uh, uh, Justice Scalia. And it says what it says. We don't get to... We know, it's it's just like those people who remember this this dope from England, uh, Pierce Morgan, who said that uh, oh well the Second Amendment only applies to muskets, doesn't apply to revolvers and automatic uh, or semi-automatic weapons. It's nonsense. That's not what's in there. That's like saying the First Amendment only applies to quill and 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 parchment. You know that's that's just nonsense. So. The Fourteenth Amendment is absolutely valid. That's just it's a shibboleth that's just been passed along by people who haven't really studied the law. Um, but the, the, the far more, the, I, I just want to tell the I want to tell the listeners, um, and I hope you re-listen to what Charles just said. Um, Charles is uh, one of the leading experts on some of these things here, and you need to go and check him out at charlesglasser.net. But re-listen to what he said. Hit that archive and re-listen to it. So the person that asked that question again, his name is uh, Tom Locavara. He is from PatriotNewsRelease.com. Uh, okay. The problem is, is that a lot of these people that claim to be sovsets or, or militia or patriots, they this is their media, the types of media that they frequent. So these are the only messages they hear, and they well, get bamboozled with bullshit. Excuse my language. Well, they get bamboozled <laughs> with bullshit. Not knowing, not knowing what 
what is real and what isn't. So that's really well, frustrating. You know, so I really want them to hear you. But that's well, thank you. But look, that's you know. I think the biggest problem in all of this, and I mean this goes way past what happened in Oregon, one of the biggest problems that we've had is is this bubble mentality, and people tend to read only things with which they agree. And uh, I'm going to have to, obviously we're running out of time soon, but I, I would encourage, I would encourage my liberal Barney, Barney, I call him Barney Sandlers, you know, Bernie Sanders friends, that they should read the Heritage Foundation website, that they should read Glenn Reynolds' Instapundit, read things out of your comfort zone. And to my conservative and, and hard-right friends, you know, who may call themselves Tea Partiers or even militia folks, I don't care, I would commend them. Read The Atlantic, read Salon, oh, heaven forfend, read The New York Times. Open up your mind, realize, I mean, you know, to assume one's own infallibility. Charles, yeah. Charles, I don't I don't mean to stop you, but I do need to let Jonathan have a comment. What you just said is sorry, that I sorry. always say our worlds our worlds are as small as we ourselves make them. If we exactly. narrow our world with our confirmation bias and we surround ourselves with only things that prop up our opinions and beliefs, whether they're true or false, they become true in our own minds. Our worlds are as small as we make them, and as long as we keep looking through this pinpoint little view and then sharing <laughs> that same pinpoint view, we do not see reality. Jonathan, please comment. Well, I, I mean, I would say I've been listening, enjoying listening to Charles, and, and, and I agree about that, about, you know, you've got to read, you've got to go beyond your comfort zone, whatever you are, and read, learn about these things that you don't necessarily agree with. Learn about the constitutional sheriffs, who, who, by the way, you know, I think that Richard Mack and, and Charles would have a lot of a lot to agree on, because they're both originalists, constitutional originalists. And I think Mack, he would answer that question about the uh, why aren't the politicians being you know charged or, or held accountable? He would say, look, they're they're elected officials; they will be held accountable by the voters. Um, yeah, you know, and that's that's where that's the main place that he sees, even though he calls them constitutional sheriffs, which is a weird thing because sheriffs aren't in the U S constitution. Of course, um, he, he believes, you know, that they derive this power, this incredible power that he believes that they have is because they are elected officials. Um, and so I don't, I, I don't necessarily buy that, but, but, it's something that um, I think that's how he would respond to your question, Sherry. Okay, quickly, uh, Charles, and then and uh, you've got about 40 seconds on this. A question from the chat room from Michael Jones is with regards to Chris Ann Hall. Chris Ann Hall is a former assistant U.S. attorney out of Florida who uh, lost her job, and uh, she practices, uh, and I say practices, not necessarily as an attorney in the court of law, but she goes around the world lecturing and selling books and teaching all these subsets and the, these patriots and militias that all these things are okay that they're doing. Um, the question in the chat room is, is if she is, uh, she's been disbarred in Florida, but she, she labels herself as a constitutional lawyer on her website, on all of her books, on her videos and all of that, and in her lectures. Is that legal for her to do that, Charles, if she's not well, actually an attorney? Uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a little goofy. If she were, in fact, disbarred, um, you know, the, the Obamas 
she, are she no was. longer licensed to practice law either, but they were not disbarred. They surrendered their licenses. Um, so disbarred, you know, is, is a pretty heavy thing. Well, the Obamas aren't going around touring the country preaching well, law. Right, 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 so. right. No, I'm just saying, I'm just saying there's a lot of confusion. There's a difference. Yeah, I'm saying there's a lot of confusion about that word disbarred. That's the point that I was on. That's the only point I was making there. Um, and people she are free to fired. opine. Let me give you real quick. She was fired, and we're into second. She was fired. Uh, she she fought the case. They settled out of court. Um, go ahead, and you got like ten seconds. Yeah, she can opine uh, on her opinion of what the law is, but she can't represent anybody in court or or give them legal advice about what to do or not do. That's, that's she isn't that giving Florida people law. legal advice. She's giving Pardon? people legal advice all across the country, which is the problem everybody has with her. Um, well, on that note, thank you so much, Charles Glasser. Thank you so much, Jonathan Thompson. Likewise. I really, really love having you on Great tonight. Too. Please go to the website, challengingrhetoric.news. You can find me on Twitter at CTR Newsfeed. You can also go to Facebook at facebook.com forward slash challengingrhetoric.news. Um, I appreciate all of you. Please share, share, share the show. If you have questions, I don't care if you agree or disagree with me or the guests. I would love to hear them so that we can talk about them. It's all about dialogue. You guys have a wonderful week, and I'll catch you next Wednesday. Same time, same place, right here on Challenging the Rhetoric. Uh